is Christian Questions. Abraham Lincoln once said, Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us here on this fine, cold Sunday morning. It's fall time. It was 50 degrees outside this morning. (laughs) Anyway, Jonathan, good morning. What's happening? Well, Rick, our question for this morning is, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek Turn the other to him also. You always wonder about that scripture. That's a tough one. And and folks, today we're talking about enemies. For some of us, naming our enemies is easy. We can put a name and a face to them and recite the reasons that we have to consider them as enemies. For others, the idea of an enemy may be more related to a, a general group who may have a different ideology or a different political perspective. Whatever makes someone your enemy, the question remains... How do you treat them? Jesus says to love our enemies. But is that really a practical statement? Doesn't loving an enemy uh, overlook and minimize the very reasons they may justifiably be our enemies? I mean, does it? Good question. (laughs) So, folks, stay with us this morning. We're talking about uh, enemies and how to deal with those people that we might consider uh, enemies. And this is just a, 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 this is a difficult subject. It really is. And, and part of this subject has been spurred on by a lot of current events, which we'll start to open up in a, in a few minutes. Um, just because having enemies seems to be a very easy thing to do in our world. Oh, yes. So what do we do with that? How do we apply the words of Jesus? And the other part about this, Jonathan, is how do we apply the actions of Jesus? Because you, you read, like the theme scripture you read, you know, turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. That's a very famous scripture. Sure. Did Je- did let me, instead of, instead of asking the question, let me make a statement. Jesus technically didn't really do that. Really? So we're, we'll... We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that, folks. Stay with us. Let's start with the Old Testament. Oftentimes we think that the law of love was biblically instituted by Jesus in the New Testament, right? I mean, sure. you know, you have the law in the Old Testament, and then you have Jesus in the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene and brings the law of love, and it's a different thing than the law. Let's look at this loving your enemies idea first from the standpoint of the Old Testament, because I think there's some pretty interesting things there in the Old Testament. And Jonathan, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to break it in pieces, because there's actually seven different behaviors listed uh, in uh, this, this scripture in terms of dealing with with, with with other people. So we'll start with Exodus 23. We'll do verses 1 and 2. You shall not bear false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, 
nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. So it's interesting. This is this first behavior is in the context of dealing with those who are not with you, who are not on your side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And what it's saying in Exodus 23, 1-2 is don't bring a false report. Okay, don't join your hand with those who are wicked. Don't be follow along with those who are malicious. Uh, don't follow the masses in doing evil. Don't testify in a dispute to, to to pervert justice. Well, I know this is the Old Testament that you're focusing on, but I look at Stephen or or Jesus and the mob mentality. Yep. everyone got wrapped up. They did exactly what this says not to do. Right, right, exactly. And, and so in the Old Testament, even before Jesus, and this is long before Jesus, this is Exodus, okay, you have a basis for saying, no, you know what, you've got to rock, walk down right down the middle of the road here. You can't, you, you should not vary to one side or another. And when we look at it, and I'll mention it now because we're going to come back to it frequently through the program, the Michael Brown shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. in 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 uh, Ferguson, uh, Missouri, is one of those situations where people rush to one side or another, and you have trouble when you rush to one side or another, and that's what this scripture in the Old Testament is saying not to do. You know, this scripture is saying don't try this at home. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what it's saying, folks. We're talking about enemies. We're talking about justice. How? We're talking about the words of Jesus and how do those words of Jesus affect us practically today in our lives. If and have, how do we love our enemies? Yeah, I mean, how do you do that? How, in a practical, real, everyday sense, how do you do that? If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so Exodus 23, 1-9, that first behavior is in the context of dealing with those who are not with you necessarily. The second behavior in verse 3 of Exodus 23 is our behavior regarding those who are less fortunate. So it's not just dealing with enemies, but it's dealing with all kinds of different people here. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. That's an interesting statement to make uh, in the Old Testament law. But if you have the kind of compassionate, caring heart, you want to stand up for the, the, the poor man that doesn't have anything. Right. But the law in, in the Old Testament is saying, no, the, 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 the law should be equally applied whether you're rich or poor. Proper justice. Right. Oh, okay. 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 And again, you, you look at the Old Testament and it is very much a justice-based system, but there's great wisdom in this. There's great wisdom in saying... Everybody should be served from the same plate of justice. Equally. Yes. Okay. So that's a difficult thing. And again, you're right, because when you have a big heart, you tend to want to overlook. Yes. And they're less fortunate. But this is saying, no, 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 no. Now, what does that got to do with loving enemies? Not a whole lot at this point, but we're laying out the groundwork of dealing with other people from the Old Testament because, you know what, Jesus believed in the Old Testament. Of course he did. And he built upon the Old Testament, the foundation of the Old Testament, the New Testament teachings of the spirit of the law and love. So, those two first behaviors, the context of dealing with those who are not with you, the second behavior was regarding those less fortunate, the third behavior in Exodus chapter 23 is behavior related to the welfare of your enemies' property 
and their welfare. So let's take a look. Exodus 23, verses, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. You know, you read that. If you meet his enemy's ox or his donkey, hey, how are you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The, the image okay, <laughs> thank you for that. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> yes, I don't know either. All right, let's continue. But, if, but wait, wait, wait. But but the point of that though is that if it's an animal, it's, if it's a possession of your enemy. What are you supposed to do? Say, <laughs> look, it's wandering away. See ya. Take advantage of that? And the point is, in the law, it says no. no. It says, you know what? It belongs to them. Return it to them. You take responsibility and help out that person, even if he is your enemy. Do what's right. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. You know, when you think of the law, sometimes we don't think of it being interpreted exactly that way. Ver- verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. So if you see an animal that is overburdened and can't manage the load, that belongs to your enemy. What does it say? Lend a helping hand. That's right. Don't allow the animal to suffer, even though it belongs to your enemy. Now, most of us would look at the situation with our enemies and say, Ha! Now, you know, let's... Let's say you're my enemy. You're not, but let's say you are. And, and it, it's your, it's your, it's your uh, beast of burden that's, that's suffering under this heavy load. Ha! Look what Jonathan did. He deserves it. Too bad. <laughs> you know, that's the way we naturally would react because I don't like you. You're my... I really do. But I, I mean, I don't like you. <laughs> this is hard. This is hard to, 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 to use as an example. But, folks, hopefully you get the point. Because our natural instinct is to wish bad things upon those who are enemies. This but that's not what the Old Testament is saying and, to do. Right. And that we're not even dealing with the New Testament. This is no. the Old Testament law. Okay. So that was the, the welfare of your enemy's property and, 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 and welfare. The fourth behavior in verse uh, 6 is behavior in legal matters regarding those who are less fortunate. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. So if you have a needy brother, again, this doesn't necessarily have to be an enemy, but no perversion of justice is allowed, even if it's somebody who is close to you, your needy brother in his dispute. You don't, you don't sway, you don't skew the story, you don't spin it. You go by the facts, not by emotion. Right, right. These are the bases that Jesus taught from. Of the Old Testament law. The fifth behavior, and all things based in righteousness, or I'm sorry, is a behavior in all things based in righteousness, uh, having that is an absolute must. Verse 7. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. So God is saying, I will not acquit, acquit the guilty. Don't get involved in for false charges. And again, the idea of spinning, the idea of embellishing a story, for instance, and we're so good at that. Just because you don't like someone. Yeah. Or yeah. they're your enemy. You know, and the idea of embellishment is something that human nature really works with. You know, hey, I caught a fish and it was this big. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure you did. <laughs> right. Sixth is the behavior uh, when ill-gotten gain is set before you. You should not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. That is a profound scripture. I had never seen that scripture with such a profound look ever before. Don't, 
a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. Don't do it. The Old Testament law is telling us this is how you deal with things. The seventh uh, area is a behavior regarding those with whom you have no association or common ground. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feeling of a stranger. For you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. So just because someone is a stranger to you, someone is a different religion or a different nationality or a different color than you, it says do not oppress them simply because they're different. Don't do it. You know what it was like to be oppressed. You know, he's talking to, to, to Israel, yeah. having been slaves in Egypt for all those years. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. So all of this, Jonathan, sums up with very compassionate, yet still very much founded in justice type of behavior. Okay? That gives us a basis to try to understand Jesus, because Jesus knew all of this. And he built off of this. Exactly. Exactly. There's a great quote here by Paul Newman. A man with no enemies is a man with no character. And you say, well, wait a minute, how can that be? And the idea is that when you have character, you stand for things. Yes. And a lot of people around you don't necessarily agree with those things. And that, that's where enemies come from, is, is standing for something. So if you have character, you're going to develop people that look at you and are not really uh, happy with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we mentioned earlier, just very briefly, that our discussion today will be referencing the shooting death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, this past August 9th. That incident... Uh, which is yet unresolved, has cast our society into the choosing of sides and the subsequent making of enemies. The question is, what should we think? What should we do in, in, in reference to all of this? Let's go to a soundbite, Jonathan, that's sort of, it's from Complex News that just outlines the, the situation. For Complex News, I'm Jinx. It's with regret that I report the fatal shooting of yet another unarmed black male in America by police. At around 2.15 p.m. on Saturday, August 9th, Michael Brown, an 18-year-old African-American male, was shot and killed in the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, as he traveled to his grandmother's house. The New York Times reported that, according to local police who are still investigating the matter, an officer on patrol drove towards Michael Brown and another individual in his police vehicle. The officer stopped his car and attempted to exit and approach the two individuals. Upon his attempt, one of the men pushed the cop back into his vehicle and began physically assaulting him. According to Chief John Belmar, there was a struggle over the officer's firearm and one shot being fired inside of the patrol car. It's still unclear if Brown was the man accused of the physical assault or not. Following the scuffle and initial shot, both the cop and the alleged assaulting individual left the car. Michael Brown was shot approximately 35 feet from the vehicle. St. Louis County Police have promised an ongoing and lengthy investigation to determine why the incident occurred, for the details about the alleged scuffle for the firearm, and whether the shooting was justified or not. And Jonathan, the reason I, I listen to a lot of reports, and the reason I chose that one particularly is because it, was, it seemed to be just purely factual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, he started out by saying, you know, it's a sad thing to report. And it is a sad thing to report. This 18-year-old kid is dead. That's a sad thing. It, it, it's just a sad thing. But he gave it from a standpoint of, okay, here are the facts. Here's the situation. Now, here's another fact. We're in big trouble over this event. In our country because it has been a polarizing event, an event that has made people take sides and make enemies. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? Coming up, how did Jesus teach us to act when we were being abused by our enemies? Do we really have to take it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. 
Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, one of the things that uh, folks you might be wondering is, you know, why are we talking about this? This is a, this is over a month later. Why are we bringing it up now? And and subjects like this, I purposely don't like to deal with right at the very beginning because there's so much there's so much interference. There's so many uh, stories and so many versions, Spins. right? That yeah. I just like to let it settle down a little bit and sort of be able to look back over it mm-hmm. rather than try to look through it. Good, good. And, I like and, that. But and, and the, the issue is certainly not d- done. No, it's not. But it's still volatile. Mm-hmm. And the point is, what happens when you have a situation like this? And you know, we were talking during the break. And, and one of the, one of the issues is that when you have a black kid shot by a white cop, no matter what the circumstance, justified or not, I, that, that's not the issue. It always provokes a surge of emotion. Mm-hmm. An absolute surge, and I understand that. Okay, and 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 that's something you, you need to be able to look at and say, okay, that's part of the situation. But what do we do with it? Do we create new enemies as a result, or do we try to plow through it and love those who may see it entirely differently than we do? That's that's really we've, where we've got to get to here. So, as we progress through this and, and use the Michael Brown shooting sort of as a backdrop on this, and and folks, again, we're not a political program. No. You know, we're, we, we want to talk about the teachings of Jesus in the context of that shooting because I think it helps us make it practical. Mm-hmm. And that's the question. Practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? So let's go to a soundbite. So, folks, if you have a thought before the soundbite, 866-985-4255. Let's go to a soundbite from Robert Thurman. He's talking about loving your enemy, and he's talking about Jesus, and he also mentions other religions building on... Uh, um, ancient thinking, he's talking specifically about Jesus building upon Moses. In particular, and the Asian psychologies in general, and actually the ancient Christian monastic psychologies, do have a strong theory and a strong practice, really, uh, of overcoming bitterness, hatred, resentment, vengefulness, and so forth, carrying a little further from Moses's already restraining idea of an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. In other words, you don't take a leg or a life for an eye, you know, or a life for a tooth, you know, just another tooth, which was already a step forward from the old vengeance idea of tribal attitude. And, uh, and Jesus's and Buddha's greater idea of really love your enemies and how to unpack that in a modern setting. And that's the question. How do you unpack that in a modern setting? Because you see the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that came, comes from the Old Testament law. That's right. And so when, when we hear about that, what does Jesus teach us to do when we're being treated badly? Let's go to Jesus dealing with that very scripture that Robert Thurman just mentioned in Matthew five thirty-eight to 42. And we're going to break this scripture up into a lot of pieces. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus says, this is what you've heard said, and he quotes the law. Mm -hmm. And then he says something that's almost, uh, can be disturbing. He says, but I say to you that if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek and let him slap that one as well. You're saying, what? 
Because, again, Jesus believed in the Old Testament law. Mm-hmm. He was brought up under the Old Testament law. Why would he say something like that? Now, is Jesus saying that we should just let evil run roughshod over us? Like, it doesn't matter what happens. If it's evil, it's okay. So we're just a doormat. Right. Just just allow yourself to be beaten silly because Jesus said to sit there and don't move a muscle. Is that what Jesus was saying? Because it certainly sounds that way. It does. Okay. But. But. Okay, <laughs> well, let's go to just, just a commentary on that particular scripture. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Our Lord's own meek, yet dignified bearing, when smitten rudely on the cheek in John eighteen twenty two and 23. We're going to read that in a second. And not literally presented, presenting the other, is the best comment on these words. It is the preparedness, after one indignity, not to invite but to submit meekly to another without retaliation, which this strong language is meant to convey. So earlier when I said, well, Jesus didn't really do it, Jesus did not literally offer his other cheek when he was smitten on one. You are right. Okay. He didn't. Let's go to John eighteen twenty two and 23. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Okay, so he gets hit. Does Jesus literally say, Here, here's the other one? Here, here's what Jesus does. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why did you strike me? So Jesus responds and challenges what just happened. That's right. If I was doing something wrong, I can understand it. But he didn't lash out with right. emotion. And that's the point. The point is he simply stated a question that needed answering. Why, why are you hitting me? If I said something wrong, I get it. But if I didn't, then why did you do it? And Jesus, we know, didn't say something wrong. No, he didn't. And, and Jesus knows that they knew that he didn't say something wrong. But he literally didn't turn his cheek to have the other one hit. But he, he didn't turn it to have the other one hit, but he didn't back away so he couldn't get hit either. Right. He stood his ground in truth. Not in retaliation, but he stood his ground in truth. So Jesus... He is teaching us here how to love our enemies. And, that, and that's a hard thing to do what he did. Oh, that is. That's you know, super hard. <laughs> yeah. so, so this is a good basis for beginning this particular uh, conversation. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. So that's an interesting uh, perspective. Don't say, I'm going to repay evil, but wait for the Lord God. He'll take care of it mm-hmm. in his time. And sometimes, Jonathan, his time is not our time. That's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> and if you've had it happen, and, and folks, if you were listening a couple of weeks ago when I had my family in here, we were talking about the trauma in our family with my daughter and all of that. Uh, justice was not served, if you remember, mm-hmm. during that particular story. Yes. And how do you deal with that? Because a man committed a crime and got away with it, essentially. He fled the country. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? You deal with that knowing that in God's time, all of the wrongdoings are going to have to be accounted for. It's not like I'm going to say, aha, you're going to get yours, but justice will be served in a way that will be loving and fair. And that person will have to, in the, in, in the great day of judgment, which is not a day of, 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 of burning hellfire or anything like that, but in the great day of judgment, it is a day when everyone we're going to, is going to have to stand up and, and, and make good for the things that they did. Be accountable. 
So in God's time, and so sometimes that's difficult. So the first lesson here that Jesus is teaching us about loving our enemies is to endure abuse. Stand for and speak for what's right, but don't retaliate in like manner. Rise above the Old Testament law. So Jesus is essentially saying, yes, that is the law that you have a right to apply to your life. But I'm saying to you, there's a better way. Stand above that. Stand above what is your right and stand for something higher. A difficult, difficult task. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And you can tweet us at CQNet Radio. And don't forget, CQ Rewind, the full edition. Yeah, that's it. And especially, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, we did a program with my family. Then last week you had David Stein in here talking mm-hmm. about uh, evolution and DNA. That was one of the most fascinating things. That was. It just was amazing. It just, I just love to, 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 to listen to things like that unfold, the complexities in nature, sh- it showing signs of great, great intelligence as in, in a creator. Absolutely. Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, gives you the picture all the facts. All the facts, the commentary, the scriptures, the illustrations. It's a free service that we offer exclusively at ChristianQuestions.com. Sign up now. It's something you really are going to love. All right, so Jonathan, let's continue with Jesus' teaching on loving our enemies. Verse 40 of Matthew 5. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So now, what is that about? I mean, it, <laughs> and, and this is a tough scripture. Uh, and, and let me just read a, a, some commentary from, uh, from Gill. We'll cont- in the King James, it says, if anyone will contend with you. We'll contend with thee. Or the Syriac, uh, Syriac uh, renders it, uh, will strive or litigate with thee. Not contest the matter or try, to cause, uh, try the cause in an open court of justice, essentially. A sense of our version, as the sense of our version inclines to, but to wrangle and quarrel in a private way in order to take away your coat by force and violence, let him have your cloak also. Do not forbid or hinder from taking it. So what he's saying is this is not what – when you see the word sue, when somebody wants to sue you, you automatically think of law. Yes. Okay? But what he's saying is the, this is really more of a personal contention between two individuals. Okay. Not ne- necessarily a legal contention, but there's a, there's a, 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 a wrangling going on over something, and they, you owe me this because you did this or, or this other thing happened. And so what it, it, being outside a court of law makes a big difference. And that's borne out actually in the Luke account. In Luke 6.29 of the same I- event, here's how Jesus words it. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. So it gives us a sense that don't get involved in that personal, petty wrangling over life. 1 Corinthians 6.7 Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And I think that's the principle in loving your enemies. Again, is that an easy thing, to be wronged? No, it's not. And to let it go? No, it's not. And who wants to do that? Not many. <laughs> but we're called to do that. And, th- and that's the point. And, and the point is, therefore, we are called to do and be something higher than we naturally are. That's what loving your enemies, that's where loving your enemies comes from. It doesn't come from the internal human compassion necessarily because humanity wired in an imperfect world is wired toward vengeance and getting back and evening the score. That's right. 
But Jesus is saying, I want you to be wired with heavenly wiring. Okay, the, 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 it's, it's a different sense, a different way to think. Let's go on to verse 41 of Matthew 5. Well, what, what's our second lesson, though? Rick? Oh, I, I knew that. <laughs> Don't enter into the personal and petty wrangling of life, even if it costs you live above it. Pettiness is exactly that. It's petty. And, and Jesus is essentially saying in this kind of situation, don't sweat the small stuff. I like that. Rise above it. Verse 41. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And that word forces is not really that good. A tra- As a matter of fact, it's a bad translation. What does that word f- forces really mean? To impress into public service, to employ a courier, dispatch a mounted messenger, hence to come to perform a service. So there's something about being pressed into service. It's almost like being drafted, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of a thing. And, and in Matthew 27, 32, it uses the same word, and it, it helps us to understand exactly what's being meant here. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene called Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Remember when Jesus could no longer carry the, the, the crossbeam of his cross? Yes. And they pressed, they took this man from the, and, and the Roman soldiers were the ones who did it. That's right. Said, here, you do this. He was pressed into service. He was, he was told to do this task. He didn't want to, but that's what he was told to do. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is saying, when you are pressed into service to go a mile, be willing to go two. Go further. Deem it a privilege, even if it's something you may not want to do. So the third lesson here is even when it's inconvenient, serve in a way that's beyond expectations. This is all built around how do we love our enemies? If we apply these lessons, Jonathan, it becomes a whole much, 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 much easier, easier task. Um, let's go on to verse 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So now, does that mean that anybody asks anything from you can come and get it? Well, then you, you could go down to rags in no time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> Are you to be a doormat again? Right. And, and I think Jesus makes these dramatic statements, and you have to understand what he means by them. Russell, commentary from Russell on this. Not that we should lend to anybody who asks for a loan of money or goods, but that we should not turn away from those in need. And that's the key. We should not turn away from those in need. And, you know, that brings a side issue. What about people who perpetuate their own need? That's a, that's a oh, separate that's issue. A good point. Well, maybe we'll touch on that in the next segment, but we're almost out of time here. Matthew 25, 35 and 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So that fourth lesson Jesus is teaching us here about giving to those who ask of you is have your eyes and your heart open to those individuals who may be in need and respond to them. So what Jesus is teaching us about a resp- what what's he teaching us about a response to those who may be enemies? Endure abuse, don't be petty, serve with a vigor, and touch those in need. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? Coming up. So was Michael Brown a bad kid or was Darren Wilson a bad cop? Which is it? Really? Are you sure? (laughs) You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. 
That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, when we, as we get into that big question, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? And the questions you asked at the last, into the last segment, was Michael Brown a bad kid or was Del, Darren Wilson a bad cop? Uh, let, let's... Uh, Go to a soundbite again from Robert Thurman. This is a wonderful talk that he gave. I found it on YouTube. I didn't find it. Somebody found it for me. Uh, Talks about loving your enemies. And and he's talking about why we don't want to love our enemies. And I think that's a great place to start. And um, people get nervous about it because they think if you love your enemies, it means you're going to cave to them. You're going to be a martyr. You're going to invite them to come and destroy you and just be a masochist and so forth. And that is not at all what it means. The reason someone is your enemy is they think you're preventing their happiness. Somehow you have something they want, you're in their way, whatever it is. The world isn't big enough for the both of you type of attitude. And so they're going to be your enemy and because they're unhappy. And they think by getting rid of you, they'll be happy. So if they were happy already without messing with you, they might be wanting to leave you alone. So the interesting thing is he says people are your enemies because they believe that you are preventing their happiness. Really? And see, now that's a very simple statement. But when you you look at it and you begin to apply it, you really can see how there's great, great profound truth in that simple, simple statement. How sad. Yeah. A statement. And, 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 And so what he's saying is, you know, when you love your enemies, you're going to simply show them that you can coexist. And, and there now look, there are some people who are so radically uh, uh, out to 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 kill anybody who doesn't agree with them. You know, when you look at radical Islam today, oh, yeah. and I'm talking about radical Islam, the they would just as soon kill you as look at you, and that that is being proven when you look at what's happening in Syria and Iraq and in those places right now. You see absolute evidence of these splinter groups that aren't necessarily large, but they are very powerful. Hmm. And that's a different kind of enemy that we're talking about here with the Michael Brown, Darren Wilson issue. That's right. All right. So, interesting uh, 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 quote. Um, what kind of kid was Michael Brown? Was Michael Brown a bad kid? And again, I, it, it hurts to even say, was he? Because he's now dead. He's no longer alive. Was he a good kid? Was he a bad kid? I looked, again, looked at a lot of places to try to find something that gave a sort of a sense of Michael Brown. This came from Wikipedia, just on, on Michael Brown's background, just the parts of a couple of paragraphs. Michael Brown Jr. was the son of Leslie McSpadden and Michael Brown Sr. Brown graduated from Normandy High School in St. Louis eight days before his death, completing an alternative education program His teacher said he was a student who loomed large and didn't cause trouble, referring to him as a gentle giant. At that time of his death, he was six foot four and weighed 292 pounds. That's a big boy. He was an amateur rapper and posted tracks online under the name Big Mike. Brown had no criminal record. Brown was to have started, he was going to attend uh, the... Veterate College, a technical school, on August 11th with plans to become a heating and cooling engineer. A friend of Brown said that while everyone else wanted to be a basketball or football player, Brown had wanted to own his own business. So when you hear that, you hear, okay, typical kid, typical kid growing up, big boy, but a typical kid growing up and doing his thing. And, you know, two days before he's going to start school, you know, to to find a career, Mm -hmm. he's shot down. 
And you think, uh, and you know what, Jonathan? That spells tragedy. It does. That it's just a tragic, tragic circumstance. Now, what happens is, in some, in the eyes of some people, Michael Brown represents the enemy. And in the, because they, they say he was a, quote, thug, unquote. Well, we don't really know that, do we? No, we don't. We don't know that, okay? In the eyes of other people, Darren Wilson represents the enemy because he's, quote, a bad cop, unquote. We don't know that, though, do we? No, we don't know All that. right, so what we know about Michael Brown is something very benign at this point. Okay, let's, let's assume that he was a good kid. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. But let's 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 assume that based on what we read. Now let's go to actually, you know what? Let's do let's go to the phones first, and then let's go to um, uh, some more scriptures. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Hello. Pardon my intrusion into your, your very uh, timely discussion here. Very very uh, challenging discussion. You know. Uh, I wrestle with this thing of justice, uh, and uh, believe me, as you're saying, there's a lot to digest here. But it, uh, one thing that uh, is very helpful to me, and that is context. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Matthew scripture, uh, uh, the most famous one, uh, Matthew 5:44, I think it is, love your enemies, the one you're talking about. Okay. Now. The Lord Jesus was sending out his disciples into the world, and he was instructing them on how to act and react subsequent when they received persecution. That was the key. Now, look at James 4, 4, okay? Contrast here a second, which I'm sure you have. Uh, but James 4, 4, part of it, it says, Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see how the contrast there? Yes. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The contrast. So it's context. It's context. That's the key. Uh, also, another thing, you know, uh, with Michael, Mr. Brown there, all the Afro-American uh, folks, I'm always sympathetic. For, if I see anybody uh, underdog, I'm always sympathetic. But... There's also the challenge of, you know, Lady Justice, mm-hmm. picture in front of the court. Blindfolded. Pardon? She, we, all, we take the blindfolds off. Yeah. You, got, you cannot be biased. When, whenever emotions bias enter in, you got to wait for the facts and uh, uh, with God's help, be, try to be fair in, in every aspect of the thing. Thank you. Well, God pre- bless. Appreciate your call, Julius. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. Care. And Julius is right. You know, he said justice, you know, requires context. And yes. and to be able to look at anything, we all require context. So really, really good thoughts there. Thanks, Julius, so much. And, you know, Julius also said something about, you know, the teachings of Jesus. Look, if you claim to be a Christian, all right, if that's your claim, and I don't care what color you are, I don't care what race or nationality you are, if you claim to be a Christian, you have no excuse to act in a non-Christian way. Period. There is no excuse. Because if we're a Christian, we all have the same basis for our actions, and that is the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. Right. So that's our guideline. And if we say, but that's not fair, and I need to do this, and we step over the line of Christianity, no, 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 no. You're stepping outside of the grace of God by doing that. That's not the call of Christian. Let's be clear on that. Whichever side you might be on with these things. So, again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. 
855 toll free 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com no matter the day or time. Jonathan, let's go to the crux of the matter in Matthew 5. We're reading some of the verses from Matthew 5 about Jesus, what he's teaching. Now let's go to 43 to 46. These are the verses Julius was actually referring to. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And again, profound teachings uh, from Jesus. There's four basic points here, Jonathan, on that scripture. What are they? To love an enemy dissolves any potential traces of vengeance. And we're going to be really talking about vengeance in the second hour. So, folks, uh, this it's going to heat up. No, no pun intended. But, you know, because you need to deal with the idea of vengeance. What is it? Where does it belong? We'll be dealing with that soon. The next point from Matthew is to bless and pray for those who hate and abuse you can only be truly accomplished based. Based upon our striving for that selfless love towards them. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the the next point. Be like God. God is good and just. God is all as shown in the seasons. So it says, God, you know, he brings the sun to rise upon the evil and the good and the rain to the evil and the good. Yeah, he takes care of everyone. Right, that's the way we ought to be. And the last point? Even when you're being persecuted, God is still a good and just God. So even when you're the one being persecuted, God is still a good and just God. Yes. So keep that in perspective. Uh, it's a great little quote here from Oscar Wilde. Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. Uh, very quickly, we only have a couple minutes here. Let's go to a background, again, from Wikipedia, same source. Background on Darren Wilson, the, the, the police officer that shot Michael Brown. Darren Dean Wilson was born in Fort Worth, Texas on May 14, 1986. He lives in Crestwood, Missouri, a city of 11,000 people about 18 miles um, southwest of Ferguson, and was 28 years old at the time of the shooting. Wilson first worked as a police officer in the police department of Jennings, Missouri, later disbanded. Wilson had no disciplinary history with the department. While 12 of the 40 officers of Jennings Force found jobs with the county police, Wilson ended up taking a job in Ferguson. He was described by Jennings' co-worker as an average officer who didn't get into any trouble. Former uh, Jennings police chief Robert Orr told the Times that he had hardly remembered Wilson and said that he must, that must mean he never got into trouble because that's when they usually came to him. In February 2014, Wilson received a commendation for extraordinary effort in the line of duty from the city of Ferguson. The citation was related to an incident in which he struggled with and detained for arrest, a driver that police said was preparing a large amount of marijuana for sale. So, again, you have this little bit of a background on Darren Wilson. He sounds like a good guy. He sounds like it. Okay. But we really don't know, Rick. Well, and that's the thing. Are these backgrounds complete that we read? No. No, they're not. Now, does it matter that they're not complete? It doesn't. Why? Because we don't know the story. That's why. We don't know the story. Justice has not yet been served. We therefore have no business judging the matter on incomplete information. That is an unchristian thing 
to do. It really, truly is. The only thing that comes from this incomplete information is we make enemies. You know, we say... And that's sad. You're right. On one side, we say, well, Michael Brown, they called him the gentle giant. He couldn't have possibly done anything wrong. We don't know that. They say, well, Darren Wilson, look at him. He's a good cop. He couldn't have possibly done anything wrong. We don't know that. The point is that when we make enemies, when we decide to take a side and the story is not complete, and when we do that, nothing good comes. Proverbs 14, 29, and 30 to close this. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. And so what we want to talk about in the second hour, Jonathan, specifically, is the idea of vengeance and where vengeance fits or does it fit. And how do we fall into this? Because you know what? When something like this happens, you naturally have an opinion. Emotions flow, Rick. Yeah, and you know, we naturally have a perspective. I do. When this all happened, my natural perspective is... Well, actually, I'll tell you in the second hour. But uh, folks, look, we're talking about... Jesus teaching us that we should love our enemies. What does it mean? How do we do that in a world that has gone so far over the edge on so many different things? If we're not on in your area for the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live. Leave your comments on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also email us at Rick, R-I-C-K, at ChristianQuestions.net. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, how do we love our enemies? We've got much more coming in the second hour, so stay with us. Till then, love your enemies. Think about it. This is Christian Questions. Ben Franklin wrote in Poor Richard's Almanac, Love your enemies, for they tell you your faults. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions. Talk radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have a very important and difficult subject on the table today. We really do, Rick. And our question this morning is, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And Jonathan, as a backdrop for this discussion on how do we practically speaking love our enemies, we're talking about, uh, again, as a backdrop, not the main focus of our discussion, but the the, uh, Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, Darren Wilson was the police officer who shot him uh, back in August, on August 9th. And kind of looking at that and saying, what's happened as a result of that is, is people have become polarized. You're on the side of the young man who was shot and killed, or you're on the side of the police officer. And the issue with that is, the story is not yet complete, so why are we even choosing sides? The facts are not all in, Rick. Right. Here's the problem. The problem is human nature is going to pick a way to look at something as it's unfolding. That's our natural uh, circumstance. And for me, I'm no different than anybody else. When I look at a situation, uh, something like this, and I was telling you during the break, that when I, when I hear about uh, a police officer who shoots somebody, my instinctive reaction, and you, folks, you may not like it, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, is I automatically 
would side with the law enforcement off- enforcement officer. That's what I automatically would do. And here's why. First of all, they're trained. Okay, they're supposed to know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And it's not just a, a, a uh, you know, it's not like a book test. You have to, you, you go through rigorous training to, to learn how to do those things. So I w- naturally assume that the law enforcement officer did things properly. That's my natural assumption. Now, having said that, if it's proven through a court of law that the law enforcement enforcement officer did not act in accordance with the law and was biased or 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 acted inappropriately i really believe that that law enforcement officer needs to be prosecuted to the absolute fullest extent of the law because they're an example of law uh, of what we're supp- we're supposed to be a law-based society right and right. if those who are the example of a law-based society aren't showing us how there'd be chaos right and they need to to be prosecuted as fully as they possibly can be now do i know what happened in this thing i absolutely do not when it came out and all of all of that and all the all of the dust is flying around and, and everything i was thinking you know what i i my guess is that the law enforcement officer acted within uh, what he was supposed to. But if it's proven he didn't, I will be the first one in line to say that the prosecution should be to the fullest extent of the law possible because he knew better and he was an officer of the law. And to operate outside of the law that you are an officer of is hideous to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, that's Rick's perspective on the matter, <laughs> just so it's on the table. All right, let's lo- talk about vengeance here. And, and also, Rick, race has nothing to do with the officer, right, and and right, and I didn't mention race in my, in my no, discussion because no. it doesn't matter to me. Exactly, it literally doesn't matter. All I know is that those men are and women are taught to uphold the law. That's right. in a lawful manner, and if exactly. they if they don't, then they should pay the consequences. If they do, then we should respect them. Absolutely. So let's get to the vengeance part of the conversation. Does vengeance play any role in loving our enemies? And the answer actually is yes. As a matter of fact, it does, but probably not in the way that you think. Okay? Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let's talk about God's vengeance. Let's go to Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. You know, we're talking about loving your enemies, and that verse, every other word is avenging, avenge, wrath, vengeance, adversaries, reserves, enemies. You know, I mean, you've got all these things going on. What do we see in God's vengeance? It's strong, it's just, and it's complete. That's what that verse actually was saying. Now, now let's continue. Verse 3 from Nahum chapter 1. The Lord is slow to anger. And great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way. And clouds are the dust beneath his feet. So what else do we see in God's vengeance? It's calculated, not passionate. And I think that is so important. Because it says the Lord is slow to anger. Not emotional. Right. He doesn't (laughs) jump over because God... You know, has a bad feeling about something, right? Or you know, you've been, you know, it's not like you've been struck, and your immediate response is to strike back. God is not that way. He, his, 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 his vengeance is powerful, all-encompassing, and it's not personal. But it's also on His time frame. Exactly, that's, that's challenging for us, right? Because our time frame is almost never. God's yeah. time frame. Let's you face the facts, it. because we want it here, we want it now. You got it. That's just human nature. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about 
loving our enemies. How do we do that? If you have practical examples of loving your enemies, we'd love to hear from you. 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to contact us via the Postal Service, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. The Postal Service, it's still there. We have a P.O. box and we do get some uh, some responses there as well. As Christians, Jonathan, do we ever get that I can't wait till you get yours attitude? Sadly, even some of the best examples of Christianity have fallen into this pit. Okay? That's a, that's a deadly pit. That, that it's just awful. It is. It is. But you it's, know, it's a part of us. And it is very unchristian. Yeah. And when we say some of the best examples of Christianity have fallen into this pit, let's read one from the Scriptures. This, this blows me away when you think about it. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and oh, said... Okay, before you do the turning and rebuking. So let's set the, 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 the situation here. They're approaching Jerusalem. Uh, they enter a village of the Samaritans. They want to spend the night because they're tired. Right. The Samaritans, because they're going to Jerusalem... Are, there's a there's like a Hatfield McCoy thing going on with yeah. the Samaritans and the Jews. Okay? That's right. And and they say no, you can't stay here because you're going there. Right, exactly. And so Jesus apostles James I mean, and John. James and John saw this. Now John, you know we think about John as the compassionate one. Yeah. The one with the biggest heart. Uh huh. They say to Jesus, Lord. <laughs> You see what they did, and I'm paraphrasing, you see what they just did? They would not even let you stay there. Should we command fire to come down on them and consume them all? That's, I can't wait till they get theirs. That's, let me, let, let me take vengeance out on you. These are apostles, Right, Rick. and they're, they're with Jesus. I mean, it's not like Jesus is, is you know, away for the weekend. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're walking with him, and they ask him, well, what's Jesus' response? You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Jesus simply says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't even understand what is driving those comments, because it's not from God. No, it's satanic. It's evil. It absolutely is. So so, so a key point here in loving our enemies, our idea of vengeance and God's application of vengeance are entirely different completely different as evidenced by the apostles themselves walking with our Lord. And sometimes even Christianity can be on the wrong side of this, wanting vengeance yes. for those that aren't Christian yeah. or, or believe differently than they. And what a sad statement. You know, if we are Christian, we are called to love our enemies. We, there's no excuse not to, really. And so the question is, okay, if there's no excuse not to, then how do I do it? In practicality, let's go to a soundbite. This is from Jasmine Terani. She is a licensed mental health uh, care uh, individual, and she says, speaks about something very, very important here about judging others and people that we don't like. We judge others oftentimes because our love tank is empty, because we're not feeling good about ourselves, and oftentimes when we put someone down, it puts us up. 
and we, we gives us a false sense of importance or power or better than. And if you notice, when you put someone down and you feel that there's like a sense of, oh yeah, I'm better, but ultimately you're sitting with negativity. You're sitting with judgment just because you're better than them. You're still sitting with the need to be better than. So she said something, very, I think, very important there. We get this sense of when I put someone else down, it lifts me up. That's very carnal. And, and it's very common. Yeah. And when you have that approach, that's where you have enemies. And that's where loving your enemies becomes much more difficult. Because your perception is, I can't be better unless they're worse. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know... Y- you're not going to make great progress loving your enemy with that kind of an attitude. No, you're not. So it's a, it's a very important point. And, and her point is, you know, you're sitting with this negativity saying, for me, it's a requirement for me to move up. That means you have, you have to go down. Scribes and Pharisees tended to do that a lot. Yeah, they did. They, they really did because they saw Jesus as a threat. Remember the previous soundbite from the first hour said, you know, you're, you're getting in the way of someone's happiness. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus was certainly in their perception, in the way of their happiness, because he was disturbing what they were comfortable with. And they were always looking down on those around them because they put themselves above everyone else yes. in their communities. Yeah. So, so what, what makes the need for justice to be served? So let's talk about justice and vengeance. Let's put the two together now. What can cause the need for justice to be served? It's the committing of any wrong as defined by law. Who does justice belong to? It's the property of all, Rick. Everybody owns justice. Now, in our country, now in some countries, that may not be true. Good point. But Good point. here in America, according to the constitutional law, everybody owns justice. And that's a powerful equalizing statement. Mm-hmm. Now, is it always applied properly? No. no. Of course it's not, unfortunately. But that's the principle. Justice is the property of all. What is vengeance? Vengeance and revenge are personally owned. I'll get my vengeance because you did something to me. You see the difference? Oh, yeah. One's selfish. Yeah, one's all about me. Yeah. And the other is serving the people according to law. Mm -hmm. There's a major difference. So let's examine the difference between uh, vengeance and revenge and injustice. Revenge is about me. Justice is about that which is right. And there's a massive difference too many times between those two things. Vengeance is determined by my emotions mixed with circumstances. Justice, on the other hand, is determined uh, by events in conjunction with the law. So it takes the emotions out and it puts the, the, the factual understanding and interpretation in. Revenge is personally orchestrated and served. Personally orchestrated and served, whereas justice is orchestrated and served through legal channels. And and that's why, Jonathan, you know, in in the Michael Brown situation, one of the things that's frustrating is you have this call for justice now, justice now. We want justice now. But wait a minute. You have to wait a minute. Yeah. Because it takes time to figure it out. You've got to get the facts. Right. You have to let the forensics people do their thing to give you the reality of what happened. And then the next question is, if the reality comes out to not agree with what you're standing for, what are you going to do? Exactly. What are you going to do? If the reality says, you know what, my perspective, my, my approach was wrong, now what do you do? If you're a Christian, I know what the answer ought to be. But the, the, the question is, is the answer going to be what it ought to be? <laughs> are, really, are we going to stand up for that which is right rather than that which is convenient or that which doesn't make us feel uh, um, if uh, we were humiliated? Wrong. Yes, humiliated. Okay, 
really quickly, Jonathan, here, a few points to compare God's vengeance with our own vengeance. God's uh, is for our ultimate good. God's vengeance is for our ultimate good. Ours is for our uh, momentary satisfaction. <laughs> All right, so God has the long-range plan. <laughs> he does. We have, I got to feel it now. Right. God's focus is, uh, he focuses us on the heavenly. Right, and ours is to focus on self-appeasement. All right, again, it's the momentary versus the eternal. God is to teach, God's vengeance is to teach a lasting lesson. Ours is to lessen an emotional reaction. See, there's a huge difference between taking vengeance into our own hands and leaving it in the hands of God. And just quickly, Jonathan, I, we keep running late on these segments, but Romans 12, 17 and 19. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the key point here is to love our enemies. We must rely on God's standards and not our emotions or our desire for vengeance. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? Coming up, how do the apostles describe loving our enemies? Do Paul and Peter agree? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we go through this discussion, we've we spent a lot of time on Jesus' teachings on loving our enemies and the things that he said that were very dramatic and trying to put them in perspective. And now, here, here's, here's one of the challenges we have as Christians. You know, you look at, at Jesus, and in some ways, it's depressing. Because, you know what, he's perfect. Yes. And he never does or says anything even remotely close to being wrong. And yet, then you got me. <laughs> you know, <Us. laughs> and then we, and we are so far off of that. And so sometimes you've got to look at that and say, okay, that's the big lesson. Now, to get the practical application, let's look at the apostles because they did do things wrong. And we know that, that they, they weren't perfect. And we know that they had their own struggles and their struggles are very much like our struggles. Yes, they are. So let's take a look at what the apostles said about describing their their perception, they're describing our loving our enemies. Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. And folks, look, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear your input on practical ways to love your enemies. 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. And don't forget, we have an app for your smartphone. Go to your app, uh, smartphone store and type in Christian Questions, and it is a free app. And it, it, it brings you, you can listen live on your phone. You can call by pushing a button. You don't have oh, to dial the number. It's like, awesome. oh, it's cool stuff. <laughs> so download it at your, your, app, your app store. It's a free service from Christian Questions. The Apostle Paul, Jonathan, Romans 12, 14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's a simple statement. Regarding our enemies, clear focus on action built upon exactly what Jesus taught. Be a blessing 
to those who are persecuting you. And, you know, when you're being persecuted, it's not comfortable. No, it's not. You know, you're being made, you're, you're, you're being made fun of or you're being belittled or you're being humiliated. Uh, and, 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 and what the Apostle Paul is saying, bless them. Let's continue. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So, so regarding all men and the body of Christ, what the Apostle is saying here is enter into their experiences. Find common ground through humility. Okay? And see, that's the important thing. Find common ground. With our enemies, Jonathan, with most of them anyway, there is, you can find some kind of common human ground with them. And that opens up an incredibly different kind of a door. It does. All right, let's continue the verse. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So, again, the Apostle Paul speaking regarding all men. Do not engage in any form of retaliation. Rather, respect righteousness and peace. It's just what Jesus was saying. It is. But it's encouraging because the Apostle Paul is saying exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I can personally relate to him who had the same kind of faults and flaws that I do. And he's saying don't engage in any kind of retaliation. And let's, uh, one more, two more sections of the verse. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So we do not, we do not own the right to vengeance. No, we don't. Who owns that? God. God does. And he can read the heart. He knows all the facts. So it's copyrighted by God. He's got all of the rights to it. You got so it. So back off. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it talks about heaping burning coals on their heads. We'll, we'll actually talk about that in the next segment. And then let's finish the verse and then we'll go to the phones. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think that sums it up. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling us. Overcome evil with good. Give your enemies something big, something positive, something good, something strong to look at. That makes them think, what? What is going on here? There's something different about this particular person. Well, we have our good friend David Stein from Pennsylvania. Good morning, David, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Jonathan. Hey. I hope you're doing well this morning. We are. Well, you couldn't stay away, huh? <laughs> no, it, it, it is, a, is a wonderful, uh, addictive uh, recreation, uh, listening to this and learning from it. Hey, I was calling, I was thinking about this uh, concept of loving our enemies and something that has been on my mind and heart for many years a perspective that has helped me personally uh, in first timothy chapter two we have some scriptures in the early part of the chapter that describe what god's plan is for all mankind uh, for example in verse four it, it reads who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and uh, then in verse six it says that jesus gave himself a ransom for all so I try to bring a perspective when someone is intimidating me, and of course I've never had the, the experience of having my life threatened or anything else like that, but uh, I like to look at my enemies not as they are today, and sometimes it's different. I'd rather see them in the uh, course of this verse as they will be in the future when they will come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the purpose of the kingdom, to bring knowledge of God to all mankind. And at that time, the knowledge of God will cover the earth. So our enemies, sometime in the future, are going to look back on their resistance to us and regret it. 
So I'm going to love them today for what they will be in the future. David, very well said. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You know, and, and that's such a that's such a great great point because what he's saying is look at your enemies from the standpoint of the potential they hold when God can touch their heart. See, when God touches the hearts of mankind, the whole story changes. Oh yeah. And until such time, there are those whose hearts are not touched by God. Now they are in ignorance of what God truly is. And, and Jonathan, unfortunately, I. There, 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 there are many who claim the name of Christ who don't know, don't have their, their heart touched by God because their actions are not in line with Scripture. Mm. So what David is saying is in the future, we believe that the resurrection is for the blessing of all mankind. They have to go through judgment. They're going to have to make right the things that they did. It's not going to be a, a, a free ride. You know, it's not like a you know, get-out-of-jail-free card. No, it's not. It's going to be a get-out-of-jail-but-pay-the-prices-for-the-things-you've-done card. That's what it will be in the context of God's mercy and compassion. And so David is simply saying, look at them in that way when the context of God's mercy and compassion is upon them. And there's much more that you can see to love. David, thanks. What a great, great thought to put this all in perspective. Um, let's go to another soundbite from Robert Thurman. He's, he's a very, very uh, eloquent on this subject of loving your enemy. And he, in this, in this uh, soundbite, is going to just reference uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And a very, very important kind of a reference. So loving your enemies is actually practical advice. And Martin Luther King, for example, when he went back the second time to that bridge in Birmingham... John Lewis says that he, he was advised by his friends, come on, like, don't get into how we're going to love those guys, those cops who are sicking dogs and hoses and beating us and jailing us and torturing us. And then Martin Luther said, uh, no. Uh, Martin Luther King said, no. It's too bitter a burden to bear hatred and resentment. We do love them. Of course, we oppose them and we are against them and we don't want them to behave like that. But we don't hate them. That's just a ridiculous waste of our energy. And in a way, you can say that being an enemy who has hurt you has already hurt you. If you go around nursing hatred and vindictiveness and how to get back at them, you're hurting yourself. So it's, it's a powerful living example, Martin Luther King Jr., where and, – and look, that was a whole – that was a different era. You know, you're going back, what, 40-some-odd years ago, 50 sure, years ago, whatever sure. it is. Uh, probably 50 years ago now. And, and you're at a time when you had the police force, you know, using on, the, on, on peaceful demonstrations, sicking attack dogs and fire that. hoses and all of those things. That's not right. Of course it's not right. But his attitude in spite of that mistreatment by those who were supposed to know better was, I love them anyway. I'm going to stand against what they do, but I love them. You love the sinner, but he, not He rose the above he did. the situation. And, and there's, a, there's a quote here from Martin Luther King Jr. Jonathan, I think we should read. It's from a book called A Knock at Midnight, uh, inspirational um, from the great sermons of Martin Luther King. Just a, a small paragraph. Now, there is a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. <laughs> oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they hate you more at the transition period. But just keep loving them, and by the power of your love, you will break down. Uh, they, they will break down under the load. That's love. You see, it's redemptive. 
And why is that is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So, love your enemies. Great, great reasoning about the idea of loving them. And, and Jonathan, here's the other part about why loving your enemies is, is, is such a, a difficult task. What's that? Because it takes so much effort. That's why. It's, it's hard. Right. It's easy to be vengeful. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to lash out. It's easy to gather together in groups of people who have the same kind of anger and to feed each other the anger so we work ourselves to a crescendo of anger. That's easy. It's hard to love your enemy. It's hard to love the sinner but not the sin. How do we stop from reacting when we're in the middle of something like that? And, you know, we've got the writings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. We have the teachings of the Apostle Paul that we just looked at. And they're all saying the same thing. One of the ways you stop is you rely on vengeance being in the hands of God, not yours. Jesus was clear on that. The Apostle Paul was clear on that. And then what David said really in our last call really helped us put it into perspective. There's much more to it. You also rely on the idea that that person is a, is, is one of the, is, is a, is a human being. They're a fellow human being. They are part of the, the human race uh, that Jesus died for. And we... We need to respect the human race because Jesus respected the human race because he died for every man, woman, and child. Who am I to pick and choose whom I will love and who I won't love when Jesus loved them all? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. So, Jonathan, when we look at the at the Michael Brown situation and, you know, the, you see the, the, the frustration in the demonstrations, you see the violence of the demonstrations. Now, they've petered out by now. But, you know, you see, you see a lot of anger. You see a lot of angst and a lot of distrust of the system. And that, that creates a huge problem. And a lot of hurt to bi- local businesses yes. that were destroyed. So are we, as Christians, are we feeding the distrust and the hurt, or are we teaching the loving of our enemies? Are we teaching the patience that God shows us in allowing things to work out the way they should work out? Let's go to the Apostle Peter, First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. It For the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But what if they do what is right and suffer for it? You patiently endure it. That finds favor with God. So this is interesting because it says servants be submissive to your masters. You can easily substitute the word servants with slaves. You could. Because in those days, slavery was part of society. That's just the way it was. And the Apostle Peter is talking to those who were indentured servants, essentially, under the Roman law. And they're saying, look, you need to be submissive to your masters with respect, not only to good and respectful masters, but to those who mistreat you as well. And you think about that and say, why would you do that? They're mistreating me. Because he's saying that's being a picture of Christ. He's saying rise above. So Peter is following the, the, the same guidelines that the Apostle Paul is following is. 
which are the words and teachings of Jesus. So stand for serving with dignity and respect, even if dignity and respect are not shown to you. Why? Well, let's continue. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So how do you stand up when things are going against you, when think people are mistreating you? Because you are called to the purpose of Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus is higher than the purpose of humankind. Period. You call yourself a Christian, this is your responsibility. This is our responsibility, our mutual responsibility. That's what Jesus did. And now let's finish the verse. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So by doing these things, by standing above the fray, you will stand in Christ, like Christ, and be blessed and be a blessing. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? Coming up, so what does loving your enemies actually accomplish for them and us? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, practically speaking, how do we love our enemies? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we continue this discussion, this practical discussion on loving our enemies, it's a very difficult thing to do. But that's something that Jesus asks of us. And, Rick, we're all different types of people. Yes. We all react or think differently. And some, it's harder than others based on your personality You're right, traits. you're right, right. Especially if you're the kind of person that, that is really passionate about yeah. things. Like Peter, think, yeah. think right. about him. Right. Do before you think. You yeah. Know, kind yeah. Of pers- so it's, we all have challenges with this, no matter what type we are. But no matter who we are and what type of person we are, we're still called to the same calling in Christ. We are. So... It just, the same standard is right, there, right? Right. So it's, it's not like, well, well, Lord, you know, you know that I don't have to be held to that standard because you know me, you know, you know who I am, right? And you know that this is something that, you know, I'm just different. No, 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 no. This is this is all to be part of the body of Christ. Same high standard. You got it. And there's no excuses for us to not strive. Now we're not perfect, but right. there's no excuses to not strive to walk according to Jesus. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith made effective through love. There is no other in Christ, period. Our daily life And importantly, our attitude must reflect that. But it is not easy to live this. We get hurt. We fear. We get angry. Matthew 5.13 You were the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Our weapon is prayer. This means not waiting for a shooting. This means not thinking conflict is the problem of other people, other cities. This means daily prayer, asking God to love and show us Him in others. The answer to Ferguson begins in our life today. Ephesians 2.14 For He is our peace. In His flesh He has made both groups into one and has broken down the hostility between us. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And, uh, you know, so, so Randall is saying, you know, the, the answer to this issue is not some other city, some other place, some other time, some other circumstances. The answer is with me right now. Mm-hmm. What do I do? How do I rise above those same things in me? And he said, you know, the answer is through prayer. You know, you should put yourself in the hands of God, you know, and, and, and allow him to remold your character. That's the key. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Jonathan, let's go. We, we, we talked about that scripture about heaping burning coals of fire upon their head. Right. That was quoted in the New Testament. That's actually an Old Testament scripture from Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That's a, such a strange statement. Heap burning coal. What are you trying to what burn his brains out? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> there 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 are several ways of looking at that, and you know we've we've discussed this sometimes in the past. Just in in terms of explanation, there's there's a, an explanation I think that from a scriptural standpoint I think that's very very appealing to me. Uh, Barnes gives a little bit of a uh, commentary on this. Leviticus 16.12 suggests an explanation. The high priest on the Day of Atonement was to take his censer, to fill it with coals of fire, and then to put the incense thereon for a sweet-smelling savor. So you have that phrase, coals of fire, specifically referring to the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Let's look at Luke 16, uh, Leviticus 16, 12 and 13. And he will take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small and bring it within the veil and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not so maybe these burning coals of fire show us the sweet savor of the victory over evil that Jesus himself first produced as our example maybe this heaping burning coals of fire upon their head of the enemy is saying it's a sweet sacrifice before God to offer them a hand, to offer them help. Because essentially that is what Jesus lived for and that's what he did. Be loving to your enemies. And God will reward you. You know, your enemy is not necessarily going to reward you at that moment in time, but God will. And we shouldn't be doing it for the sake of reward. We should be doing it for the sake of living according to Christ. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So there you have it. Jesus is putting it all in perspective, and he's saying, look, in me is where you find your peace. Take courage. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. I have overcome it all, and I set the table for you to be able to follow in those exact footsteps. Let's go back to Robert Thurman one last time, Love Your Enemy. Uh, and again, he's talking about the practical application of how do you get to the point of being able to do that. 
But if you, when you oppose that person, which you can do, you can have tough love, you can have fierce compassion, and you, when they sense that you're doing it because you want their betterment, actually, because it's not good for them to be mean to you and so on, then actually it has a little different edge to it. And for example, if you're trying to get them to see reason, there's a better chance they'll be able to listen to you when they don't feel the weight of hatred and the destructive vibration toward them coming through the speech. You know, what's in the style and the energy of the speech. Your motivation will make it more successful. And, and I love that. You, you remove the destructive vibration when you let your enemies know that you want their betterment. Their best interests. Right. Not that I want to beat you down, beat you to a pulp, grind you into the ground, and stamp on you and laugh. Ha, 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 got you now. But you want their betterment. It's a whole different perspective. And this is a real key point in understanding how to love our enemies. What's that key point? Loving our enemies actually reveals to them a better way to live. So instead of retaliation going back and forth like a ping pong ball. With, with nothing productive comes from that. Right. Now it's showing a better way by stopping the retaliation and actually contributing to their betterment. That, that, that takes things and turns them on their ear. And now what do you do with it? You need to move forward uh, through life. Folks, if you have a thought, now would absolutely be the time. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. So, Jonathan, let's go continue now about putting this into a, as practical an application as we possibly can. Let's go back to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Lots of people, actually. <laughs> but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. There's so much in this verse, Jonathan. First of all, there are people lined up to, to, to hurt you. And Peter does recognize that. And he says, don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled, because you're doing the right thing. But set Jesus apart in your hearts, and always be ready to make a defense for righteousness, but with meekness and with reverence. So you don't retaliate, you don't feed the flames of passion, you speak the truth. And you stand for what's right. And God will bless you. And they will be, um, they will see it. Maybe not in this life. Maybe not now. But they will see it. That's the promise that Peter gives us. And you can tell he's a mature Peter yes. when he's giving yes. this advice. Yeah, very much. Very <laughs> different from that old Peter that said, oh no, I'll be the first one to die with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so what's the key point we can garner from this? By standing in Christ, we can properly and humbly represent truth and right. By so standing, those who oppose such things can see the things they previously did not perceive. So loving our enemies can practically, in a very practical sense, give them a view of the world that they could not see before. And the reason they could not see it is that nobody who was an enemy of theirs ever loved them before. There you go. So that's the call wow. of Christianity, is to show people things that exist 
but they have no, no reason to believe in because they've never seen it. So when we have a situation like the Michael Brown shooting, those Christian leaders in that community ought to be looking at these things and saying, what can we do to show our love for our enemies? To seek justice. We want to seek justice. We want justice done. And whatever the, the, the consequence is, we will accept according to justice. But how do you show love for those on the other side? That's the Christian question. That's what we are, 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 are driven towards. A good quote here, Jonathan, from, and, and this quote fits exactly in with this discussion. This is from I, I, Irene Butter. Enemies are people whose stories you haven't heard or whose face you haven't seen. And that is so true. We don't know what is driving the people on the other side of an issue to do and act the way they are. And when, oftentimes when you find out, it, it just touches you with compassion. Yes. Because most of us are acting as a result of pain. We really are. That's a good point. And as a result of that, we, we, like you kept saying so many times this, today, we don't read the heart. God does. Exactly. Jesus does. Exactly. So what's the final element to help us truly love our enemies? This is a very important and powerful scripture. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So do not judge that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's interesting, because a lot of times people read this verse and think, well, you know, we're not supposed to judge. That's not what it says. It says, judge in a way that you would like to be judged. Wow. That's what it says. So, so just sum up. What's the key point on this verse? Because this is powerful. Judge only in a manner that you want to be judged in. So if you are in the middle of this situation, again, Ferguson, Missouri, the shooting of Michael Brown, and people are demanding justice now. If they were on the side, if they were in the place of that police officer and they had pulled the trigger, would they want people to rush to judgment before all the facts were in? Or would they want all of the facts to be gathered first? Facts. First. Facts first. You know it. And that's why Jesus in these words is telling us, don't rush. Judge in the way you want to be judged. Jonathan, one last scripture as we close, Philippians two fourteen to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So it's about rising above a crooked and perverse generation and being a light to the world. See, loving your enemies is being a light to the world. It's showing the world a different, better, higher way to live. In the situation in Ferguson, we don't know the facts yet. And if the police officer acted wrongly, he should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because he knew better. But if he didn't... If he didn't, he should be exonerated and forgiven by those who thought he acted wrongly. What will happen? We will see. All we know is Jesus taught us, love your enemies. We have talked about how to do that in a practical sense. And folks, now it's up to you and it's up to me. Are we going to stand for that which is right and true with godliness and sincerity against those other things and give goodness to those who may not want it or to give it to us? For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you on a very difficult topic. 
What are you going to do today, tomorrow, and the next day to love your enemies? Till next week, think about it.